The portion of Kisisa tells us the story of the Egel, the golden calf. And the big question, really, in this parsha is how could that be? How could it possibly be that Aaron, Aaron Akohen, Aaron the high priest, makes a golden calf, creates something that acts as an idol? And the question really is on the Jewish people as a whole. They just finished hearing the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. They just got the instruction. Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am the Lord your God. Don't have idols. And the very next day, they go from that pinnacle to the depths of creating an idol, creating a golden calf. The Rebbe addresses this question as part of an analysis, a technical analysis of Rashi in this week's Parsha. Rashi says on the verse, it's talking about Aaron told the Jewish people to take off their golden jewelry and bring it to him. They brought it to Aaron. He took it from their hand. We'll see in a second what that means. And he made it into a golden calf. So Rashi explains, You could interpret those words in two different ways. Either that he tied it in a kerchief, and he brings several examples of where you see the word charet means a kerchief. Or the second, vayitzar, he formed it, bacharet, with a, with, with a goldsmith's tool that's used to, to engrave, that's used as a, as a tool for engraving. And he brings several examples from different verses that would support that position as well. The Rabbi asks a number of questions in this Rashi, including we know that whenever Rashi asks several, uh, brings more than one interpretation, it's because there's a problem with each one. What was bothering him with each one of these different interpretations in Rashi, and in, in, uh, uh, with each one of these different interpretations, they both seem to fit with the text. Why does he start by saying you could interpret this in two ways? He needs to tell us two. We'll count. Generally, when Rashi brings more than one interpretation, so he'll bring one, and then he'll say, oh, and you could also say another. Here he doesn't say that. He says number one and number two. Why does he use differently than his usual interpretations? And Rashi brings uh, the Rebbe brings several other questions on the, the the proofs that Rashi brings, the need for the proofs, the specific proofs that he brings, the multiple proofs, etc. The Rebbe explains it as follows. He says there these two different interpretations are actually reading the whole story of the golden calf very differently. Because if Vayatzer Batsaret means he tied it in a kerchief, threw it into the fire, and out came a golden calf, because there was some sort of magic, there was some sort of something went on, there the, 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 the sorcerers that came from Egypt, that means Aaron himself was not involved with making the eagle, with making the 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 the, the calf with the golden calf itself. He did something and a golden calf came out. There's a problem with that. Because the verse seems to clearly say, He made it into a golden calf. So therefore Rashi brings the second interpretation as well. That he actually engraved it, he formed it, which means that Aaron did do it. But there's, there there's a question as well. Because later on in the verses, it says that Aaron said, This calf just came out. And as Rashi explains, I didn't know that a, that a calf would come out, which implies that Aaron was not directly involved in making the, the golden calf. So there's a problem with the first interpretation that Aaron made it, because it says that Aaron didn't make it, because it says Aaron made it. There's a problem with the second interpretation that Aaron made it, because he implies that he didn't. 
that's why he brings both of the interpretations. You can interpret it that he did directly make it. You can interpret that he didn't. According to this, the Rebbe explains the unusual language use here. You could interpret it in two ways. More And Rashi says one and two. More often than not, Rashi always brings the interpretation that fits better first. And then, because there's a question, he brings the second one as well. But sometimes you're going to have a situation where both interpretations work, and they work equally. You just you still have to bring one first and one second, because that's the only way you could say them. You can't say them both at exactly the same time. So Rashi highlights that in this particular situation, there's the same level of difficulty with both interpretations. So he says, Don't say that I'm giving you the basic interpretation and then giving you, because there's a question, I'll give you an alternate. But rather, here there's two equally problematic and equally fitting interpretations. And he highlights that by not saying the first and the second, but by saying one and two. In other words, practically, I have to just provide them as interpretation one and interpretation two. But one is no better than the other. And this is what Rashi is... Why is Rashi doing this? What is he trying to... Uh, what, what is he trying to explain? He's trying to explain the underlying difficulty that we have in this whole story that we mentioned already earlier. How could it be that Aaron would be involved in making a golden calf? How could it be that the Jewish people would be involved in making a golden calf after they directly heard from God, don't worship idols? And Rashi doesn't even address that question directly. Which means that Rashi believes that this is clear in the simple interpretation of the text, that we could understand this on our own. He doesn't even need to address this. How do we understand this? The Pasuk tells us that what did the Jewish people say? They saw that Moshe was not coming down from the mountain, and they said, we don't know what happened to this person, Moshe. In other words, on a basic interpretation of the text, the purpose of the golden calf is not, heaven forbid, to serve as an idol, is not, heaven forbid, to replace God. Rather, it's just there to replace Moshe Rabbeinu, to replace their leader. They use the term, make for us a God. But as Rashi already told us earlier, when it says that Moshe was Elohim leparo, he was as a leader for Paro, that doesn't necessarily mean a God. That means a leader. That means somebody to lead us, somebody to, to, to act as our connection to Hashem. How could they even think that? Why would they even think that they, 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 they could replace Moshe, even Moshe himself? So that's, Makes sense, because God has just instructed them to build a tabernacle. In the tabernacle, there were going to be kruvim. There were going to be elements that seemed to act as an intermediary between Hashem and, and, and the Jewish people. So for therefore, it makes sense that they would think, if we don't have Moshe, we need something else to act as an intermediary for us. And then some of them take that a step further and end up making the mistake, end up thinking that this actually is a god, this actually takes. This actually is an idol, it actually is a separation between Hashem and them. God will later tell the Jewish people that the Kruvim, that the, even an intermediary, even something to act as a connector to Hashem, they are not allowed to have, we're not allowed to make an image of Kruvim in regular synagogues outside of the Bet HaMikdash, outside of the Holy Temple. But that's an instruction that only comes later. That's the Jewish people hadn't yet been instructed. So it makes sense that at this point, they would go ahead and create something to serve as that intermediary, to serve as a, in place of Moshe Rabbeinu, in place of their leader Moshe.
Halachically, also the Rebbe gets into an analysis that by Aaron not acquiring the gold, he told the Jewish people, you bring your gold, but he never chose to acquire the gold himself. According to Jewish law, you're not, you're not able to make somebody else's object into something that's forbidden. So as long as Aaron doesn't actually own the gold, halachically, he's not able to create an idol. It's not actually able to serve as an idol. Gets into a discussion about the technicalities, the details of that. What is the Yena Shal Torah? What's the deeper dimension that Rashi is hinting at in, 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 this, in this case trying to teach us? It's explained several places in Chassidus that the whole existence of sin the whole ability for us to ever imagine that there could be something, especially of a desire that there could be something separate than godliness, must have its source in holiness as well. Where does it have its source in holiness? We're supposed to believe in the oneness of Hashem, the absolute unity that exists within God. Now, within holiness, there still is the possibility of multiple interpretations. Torah sometimes lends itself to more than one interpretation. In and of itself, that's not at all a contradiction to the oneness of Hashem. But when a person learns about the multiple interpretations that exist within Torah, if they misapply that, from that holy source could come to an, a, a belief, to, could come to a mistake of assuming that there's not absolute unity within godliness, that could ultimately lead to a situation that actually allows for idols, that allows for complete separation. Rashi hints to that in the way in which he describes the different steps here in this Rashi and the following ones that come immediately afterwards. He starts off with Yesh Targumo Bishnei Panim that you could interpret this text in two ways. In other words, the beginning of all the problems begins with the person looking at something in Torah and seeing the possibility of there being different ways of approaching it, different ways of understanding it. From that, in the next Rashi, he says, V'yesh Omrim, some people say. In other words, from that beginning of, of just a recognition of different approaches within Torah, not absolute unity, if a person misapplies that and misunderstands that, that will lead to Yesh Omrim, that he becomes a Yesh. He becomes focused on his own existence. There is introduced this idea of ego. I also exist. I'm also important. I also am something else. And that leads to the next Rashi. The third Rashi says, another interpretation or another thing. In other words, that represents the idea that from the multiple interpretations in Torah, he comes to ego, and from ego you come to Dover Acher, to actually the allowance for imagining that there is something other than God, which ultimately can lend itself to a person's messing up, to a person's worshipping idol. Where does all of this come from? From a lack of Kabbalah soil accepting the yoke of heaven. When we have complete and true faith, when we accept the yoke of heaven completely, then there's no room for a misunderstanding of multiple interpretations in the Torah in the first place, as you see with the women, they refuse to even give gold for the for the for the golden calf, even with the understanding that this would just be taking the place of Moshe, because they had a greater faith in Hashem, they had a greater Kabbalah's ill acceptance of the yoke of heaven, and therefore that didn't allow for any misapplication, for any misunderstanding in the first place. When we strengthen our faith, when we strengthen our acceptance of the yoke of heaven, that strengthens our recognition of the oneness of Hashem. And that ensures that even when we see multiple interpretations in Torah, we recognize that that's nothing outside of the absolute oneness of Hashem.